My name is Syed. I have 300 units under management, and I've done $10.7 million last year, and this year I'm forecasting to do $11 million. I had friends, family, everyone tell me like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? It's not possible. They had a lot of doubts in me during that time. But for me, I'm a guy that I bet on myself and I know I'll figure it out. I took action and I've been in business for about seven years now. I started my business just doing a house hacking type business. I ended up making the unit that I lived in into an Airbnb and it had some great success. It was making two to three times rent and I said I wanted more. so. That's kind of when I ended up making my entire building. From there, it's like when the light bulb went off and I was like, hey, I'm making two to three times rent for every single one of these units. I want to scale up and do more. So I'm going to drop this on you guys. This is the only eight-figure Airbnb host that I know. Welcome back, everyone, to the Learn Like a CPA podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Bakey, and today I have a special guest, Chicago native, Chicago area. Yep. Syed, Syed, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, so my name is Syed. I've been in business for about seven years now. I started my business uh, just doing a house hacking type business. Uh, I ended up making the unit that I lived in into an Airbnb. This was back in 2018, 2017, 2018. And it had some great success. It was making two to three times rent. And I said I wanted more. So that's kind of when I ended up making my entire building an Airbnb or short-term rental. And then from there, it's like when the light bulb went off and I was like, hey, uh, I'm making two to three times rent for every single one of these units. I wanna scale up and do more. So that's kind of when I started my business. Um, but now fast forward, I have 300 units under management and I've done $10.7 million last year. And this year I'm forecasting to do 11 million. So I'm gonna drop this on you guys. This is the only eight-figure Airbnb host that I know. <laughs> eight figures in annual revenue on Airbnb. You said it was through how many units? So I made. So I probably had 250 units that made the eight, 10.7 million dollars worth of revenue. Uh, this year is kind of flat from a revenue perspective, even though my unit count increased. So that kind of tells you per unit level my revenue decreased but because I scaled more units, mm -hmm. my revenue's flat year over year. And I wanna get into that, is that is that through the saturation? More, yeah. more hosts getting in or yeah. plus demand or a combination of both or? So the national topic at the moment is saturation and new units coming in and but the demand being flat. But in my markets, it's actually opposite. Like my unit count is flat in my markets uh, month over month, year over year, just a small increase but the demand decrease. And I think that's driven by majority of like the hotel occupancy increasing because the hotel started opening up and people started going back to hotels. So in my markets, um, my unit count stayed flat, but the demand decreased. Mm. And what markets are those you care to share? Yeah, so one of them being Chicago's where I'm from, but I'm in a few other markets, but um, majority of my portfolio is in Chicago. And if you're in Chicago, are you primarily targeting business travel? So no, I'm targeting leisure travel, but mm -hmm. I'll take anyone in anywhere. Um, it also depends on the type of unit and location. There's some units I have in different suburbs that get a more of a demand of business travel because there's some corporate offices nearby, but uh, mostly leisure travel. And that's kind of why I was probably successful during the pandemic is because there was so much demand in le leisure travel and that's what was pouring into my short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. So I really wanna talk about the scale and operation of how you got here, but I wanna backtrack and talk a little bit more about that first deal because what I found out, 
since we started chatting was we we bought our first deals kind of the same way okay nice so i started with a owner occupied fha loan three and a half percent down yep rent one side rent live in the other side and at the time my mortgage was fifteen hundred dollars a month but the top upstairs unit was paying twelve hundred dollars a month okay so at 21 years old i was able to cut out the largest expense that most people have which is housing right. to only three hundred dollars a month right and because I was reading the Bigger Pockets books and I was going down that route, I knew that I had to find an actual deal. So when I bought a property, I put it under contract for 230,000, knowing that it was gonna appraise for more. And so it, I put it under contract for 230, it appraised at 250. I was able to go to the seller and say, hey, I'm gonna bump up your the, the contract price at 250, knowing that the bank would approve it because it appraised for 250. Right. And, he, and he would be happy be, because he would get more sales sales and I would get a $10,000 commission. I would get $10,000 towards my closing costs. Right. And so that's how I had nothing out of no closing costs, little to no down payment money. And that's how I bought my first house. So similar type story for me. Uh, I wanted to go the low money down route and I did like a FHA financing. I did 5% down. Uh, I took the financing from my 401k from the corporate job I had at the time. Uh, I think it was like 25 thousand dollars from like my 401k the purchase price was like five hundred thousand and i rolled in the closing costs back into the loan so i got a credit so i, I ended up increasing the price a little bit to end up rolling those closing costs so it was just twenty five thousand dollars out of pocket to get a four unit building plus a basement which is like amazing right and that's kind of what launched my like you know my life going forward and what i have now so when you bought that first one did you did you immediately quit your job to Go to real estate full time? Like, what was that transition? Right. So that, initially, that was the intention, but I thought it would take like 10, 15 years type thing of accumulation of real estate to be able to offset the income that I was making from my job to cover my expenses. But I had the situation where uh, when I made that unit that I lived in into an Airbnb, it was making two, two times rent. And then when the summertime came, it was like three times rent. And that's when, again, I was like, okay, can this work in more units? And then I started making my other units when there was like up for renewal at the time. Uh, I made those into short-term rentals and every single unit that I put on, I was getting that three times rent during the summertime. So that's when I was like, okay, you know, if I make this whole building, you know, a short-term rental, then I'm already covering all my like, you know, income that I make from my job. So that's when like two, three months into doing like short-term rentals is when I went to my manager at work and I was like, Hey, you know, I want to put in my like month notice, you know? And that's when I told them and they said like, Hey, can you just stay um, part time and we'll let you keep your benefits? And I said, sure. So that lasted about like four five, six months part time, but I was really not even focused on the job during that yeah. time. I was just working on my other job. And, but yeah, so it took me like three months to be like, Hey, I'm ready to get out of this. Like I really said, like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I had everyone tell me like, you're crazy for doing something like this, right? I went to, I came from a, you know, a corporate background, went to college, working in finance, working my way up, getting promoted, getting close to that six figure dollar um, amount salary. And I had friends, family, uh, everyone tell me like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? That's, it's not possible. They had a lot of like doubts in me during that time. But for me, I'm a guy that I bet on myself and I know I'll figure it out. I had, you know, levers to pull it just in case if this doesn't work, can I do X, Y, Z and come back in the corporate world? But, uh, you know, again, I bet on myself and I took action and I told them like, hey, this is, I have a month left and I want to do this full time. 
And you, you primarily use the arbitrage method. Can you let some of the audience know how that works? Yeah, so rental arbitrage is when you go to a landlord and you lease a unit. When they have a vacant unit, say the rent's like $2,000 a month, market rent. You pay them $2,000 and then you furnish it. You put it on Airbnb and the revenue you make could be $3,000 and that $1,000 is like your profit, gross profit. Mm -hmm. And what I'm starting to realize about this method is it alleviates some of the financing burden if you're trying to buy a traditional rental, especially if you don't have a W-2, right? right? It makes it extremely hard to qualify for financing when you're doing when you're buying a regular short-term rental. Right. But with arbitrage, you don't necessarily have to worry about having a W-2 income. Sure, it could be good for emergency fund and security purposes, but that landlord, correct me if I'm wrong, he, he or she's not looking if you have a steady W-2 income. Uh, so they want to make sure that you're financially able to pay the lease. Mm -hmm. um, so things like that can help, you know, if you should provide like, hey, you have different sources of income. But yeah, for me, after I made all the short-term rentals in my building um, into actual Airbnbs, um, I wanted more, but I ran out of money. I didn't have any more money to scale up. So um, I would love to have more money to buy the next property and the next property to be able to scale up. But that's like slow growth. Once you buy one, you got to wait until a long time before you accumulate enough cash if you don't have outside funding to be able to buy another property. So I was like, okay, like how can I get more units? So initially I saw in my market that uh, there was only one actual property management company that was doing um, Airbnb for other people. So I kind of like explored their business model and see what they did. And basically what they did was like an 80-20 split with um, owners that have already short-term rentals or furnished rentals and it was like more of a management type agreement so i wanted to compete with that because there's only one so uh, i wanted to gain some market share from them so i created the same exact company uh, i started going uh, spending some money on seo and getting my name it was actually number one on google for airbnb management company because there was not a lot of competition for the seo at that time and all of a sudden leads started coming in i started getting all these clients and I was going with that management agreement, 80-20 split, you know, month to month, doesn't matter. But I realized like uh, after having that model, it was not a good experience. It was too emotional. It was too much handholding. It was almost as if I was their assistant. I did not like that model. Um, and they were like simply using a lot of my time. And then all of a sudden when they didn't need me, they would cut me off, right? Uh, so then one time there was a networking event that I went to and this one group, they were talking in a, in a circle and one person said like, hey, we're looking for people to do Airbnb in our buildings. I work with a big management company. So I was like, whoa, you know, this is crazy. Like me, I'll do it. I'll do it for you, you know. So I got her contact information. I started messaging her. She's, she put me in touch with the property manager of the uh, company. And for like weeks on, I started reaching out every few days like, hey, can we talk about, you know, potentially doing Airbnb in your units? Um, it would be like an 80-20 split, and I wouldn't get a response. Um, then I started calling. I started uh, even coming into the office. Like, I was bugging them for, like, weeks to months, right, and to try to get them to say, like, yes to me. Finally, like, the ma property manager was, like, fed up, and then he put me in the office with the boss. So the, bo so the guy was, like, a super alpha male, comes in, tells me all this stuff, doesn't even let me say a word. And then he's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting in the furniture business. We're not, sorry, we can we're not, no Airbnb in our buildings. And then that's when I was like, hey, how about you allow me to lease some of your units? Allow me to lease two units. You have a thousand of them. You have more than a hundred vacant. Mm 
allow me to just lease two units and I will pay you the rent, but let me put it on Airbnb. And then that's when he was like, okay, that's an option. As long as you pay the rent, don't cause any issues. I'll let you have these two. So after I got in, the two became four, four became eight, eight became 15, 15 became 35 with this one landlord. And that's kind of when like the rental arbitrage business for me kind of started. And this is like before the, even the word rental arbitrage even existed, you know? Um, and I was doing this before I even like was like brought up. So you, uh, where did you get the cash to furnish all those units? You were just self-funding that cash? So for me, um, with that landlord, I would always ask for two to three months free up front. Ah, uh, okay. Now we're so, getting to the yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So, um, because he had a hundred units vacant at a time, yeah. um, he, he was like, okay, fine. You know, take the two, three months. Um, so I would spend that $10,000 to furnish a unit and within two to three months, I'd make that money back. So, and then I would go use that money to get more furniture. Hmm. So it was like easy for me to use that those funds to reinvest back in the business to like scale up to 35 units with him and that's when i started getting a, a decent amount of cash back in my business to be able to even scale more at the time i was asking landlords two to three months free and i was hustling for that you know um it's it was hard to convince but i was convincing them you know a few of them now it's not as easy as or not i didn't hustle as much now i only ask for like a month free up front and I have my like uh, my cost, my startup costs I recoup back in like six months. Um, one being landlords are not susceptible to like they don't want to um, give me the, like two months free. It's like too much for them. Or number two, I'm not hustling hard enough finding those landlords that are okay with that, you know. But you know, four to six weeks is kind of what I'm getting now. Mm -hmm. So give us a timeline of okay, you started. It sounded like you started in 2018. Yep. Do you remember exactly how many units you had 2018, 19, 20? Um, yeah, so I could give the ranges. It all blurs because the units are coming in and out. Yeah. So when I gave my notice to my job, I had six units at that time. Um, majority of them were my buildings, my units. And how much were you making a month off those six? Um, I probably was like netting like, you know, $6,000 a month, like $1,000 per unit, mm -hmm. which is enough for me at my t that time. I was not living like, you know, that luxury lifestyle or anything. You know, I yeah. just had to pay rent. Um, and um, that's when I gave my notice because I said like, hey, if any other unit I add on is just, you know, icing on the cake. I'm just making more money from what I'm doing now. So uh, it was a six units at the time. By the time I um, actually left the job, I had 10 units from like the management um, company and then that's when I was like negotiating with this one person that had 20 units so I went from like 10 to 30 like really fast um, but that person was a crazy client that I after three months of wasting a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of like uh, everything a lot of everything in me um, they cut me off so I went from 10 to 30 back, back to 10, yeah. you know? Um, and that's when I got involved with that uh, one landlord that had those thousands of units. And then that's when I scaled back up from like 10 to like, you know, 50 at the time, more some other units were coming in. Um, but 
what allowed me to scale to the next landlord was hey guys just want to interrupt the podcast to let you know that if you enjoy the podcast and the content that's in it you would love my tax strategy academy this is going to give you the framework for developing all your tax plans for the entire year whether you're a long-term rental short-term rental investor you're going to get a one-on-one call with me to map out your tax plan and you're going to get access to weekly office hours where you can come and ask your personal questions so if you're interested in learning more, go check out the link in the show notes below. And now back to the show. What allowed me to scale to the next landlord was now I had a reputation. The person I was doing business with was really known in my market. You know, they were, um, they had so many units, so they had a lot of colleagues slash competitors, right? So now it was easy for me to go to the next guy and tell him like, hey, I'm doing business with him. Can I do business with you? And before it went from six months of begging somebody, it reduced down to like two months. Hmm. And finally, he gave me a shot, one unit, two units. With that second landlord that I have now, that I had at the time, now I have like 180 units with him. Um, I'm not doing business with the first landlord anymore, but now I have 180 units with him. So, okay, back to your question, um, how many units? Um, So I started adding units to a whole bunch of different landlords because it got much easier because I had a reputation now, I was paying rent. It was easy to name drop um, to the next guy and the next guy. Now they're responding back to me quickly. So it was during March of 2020, as you know, COVID. Um, I had, you know, when COVID hit, I had about 180 units. Um, Three months before that, I had maybe 120 units. So during those three months of the winter time is when I scaled up like crazy style, like 60 units at that time. Some opportunities came to me. Um, I could go get more into it later on if you guys want. But um, during that time, um, I was losing money for one because it was a slow season. And then number two, I was taking on a whole bunch of debt during that time uh, for growth. Uh, I was opening up all these credit cards like um, business lending wanted to give me a lot of money during that time. And then I took out a private loan from a family member um, to help me with some growth I was having during those three months. And all of a sudden, March of 2020, uh, I have no cash in my bank. I have a lot of debt and I'm excited my busy season starting in March. Spring break is going to happen soon. Yep. And um, I had 180 units. I'm like, this year is going to be once in a lifetime year. It's going to be great. March 2020, COVID hits me with like a brick wall. And I went from after going through some problems from like 180 units back down to 90. And I could go into more details on like what happened during that time. So, um, yeah, so March when the announcement came out that, you know, they're grounding all flights. Oh. Yeah. And. Airbnb starts messaging all the hosts saying that, hey, we're refunding all the guests from all the reservations that were happening um, according to the extenuating circumstances, right? And I, one, don't have any cash in my bank account from the growth and the losses I had during, and I had a lot of debt from all the credit cards. And now all of a sudden they refunded everybody. And then now all of a sudden in two more weeks, I have like three, $400,000 of rent that I need to pay. Wow. So... I was like, okay, this is done. You know, I don't have a business anymore. I don't have dollars coming in. Like what, like it's over with, you know? And it hit me like so hard that like, I couldn't even react or like feel bad or anything. It's just like, okay, um, I tried something that was out of my control happened and you know, it's over with. But I'm like, okay, wait, 
let me try one last try with these landlords. Let me give them some options that if these like 10 things happen in the next like month or two, then I could potentially stay in business. And like looking back now, like I think I hit on every single one of those 10 things and that's no why I'm way. in business now. So one, I had to go to these landlords to tell them like, hey, like this is what's going on. And at the time, it was so new, it didn't affect anybody else's industry but ours, right? Yeah, right. So I literally walked into my landlord's offices and I told them like, listen, um, I'm wiped out. Like there's no more money coming in. Um, I'm not gonna be able to pay you the rent. What do you wanna do? And do, can, you can you do one of these three options? And the three options I like brought up to them was like, one, uh, we could share revenues for any revenue that comes in. And uh, like we'll, we could do like, you know, a 60-40 split, 50-50 split, whatever you want. Number two is allow me to terminate my lease and just walk away, pick up my furniture and walk away. Or number three is like you, you go through like the litigation process and uh, evict me and, you know, non-payment and you could go after my assets, which I don't have. Um, and then out of the 10 landlords that I had at the time, like four of them were like, listen, we're not COVID charity. We're going to go after you until you have nothing. You know, I'll take the shirt off your back. You know, four, um, four out of 10 said that some of them have said something in that, in that way. Okay. One, yeah. Uh, one yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. one guy came to me and said, if you don't pay me my rent, I'm going to shoot you. Depending on what part of Chicago you're <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> so like one landlord said, if you don't pay me my rent, I'm going to shoot you. And that I use that as leverage, you know, I use that. Hey, like I started saying, I'm scared now. You know, I start telling my lawyer to talk to his lawyer to see if we could come with the settlement and it helped get a settlement with, um, that I paid him to get out of my leases. Anyways, so like, um, so those 10 landlords I had, um, three or four of them said, we're not giving you a break. Three of them said, just pick up your stuff and leave. And then three of them said, two or three of them said like, all right, we'll keep you in business for like a month or two and let's see what things happen and we'll go from there. But those like um, two, three landlords I had maybe like 90 units with and the other like seven, eight landlords I had the remainder. So um, 180, maybe 50 of those units I just terminated and they let me pick up my stuff. Uh, maybe another like uh, like 40 of them were like, you're not leaving, um, we're, we're, not, we're not like uh, giving you a break or anything. But like as time went on, they started realizing how bad COVID was going to be to the economy and everything. So they started like uh, like being a little nicer with it, um, and they started giving me offers, pay me like you know two months rent, and um, you could leave. Give me your furniture, um, pay me one month's rent, and then you could leave. They, there was like different types of agreements, but I settled with them and I got out of those agreements. I settled with the landlords that didn't want me in the units anymore. And then now I had these two landlords that had majority of my portfolio that said like, okay, let's see what happens in COVID. We have a lot of units with you. We wanna see if you, we, we could get out of this together and um, we're in this together. And that was like the best thing ever, right? Like for somebody to say that, and I'm st still doing business with one or two of them right now, um, but they literally kept me in business because COVID was really not that bad for our industry and the leisure industry. Um, there was a lot of stuff that happened during COVID that allowed me to like stay in business. Um, like one, like I got some EIDL funding, like 150,000 that helped me pay down like my 20% interest mm -hmm. credit cards, you know? Um, and then there was like some PPP funding, but I didn't get a lot of it. I got like 25,000 on the first round. 
um, to help me with some, you know, expenses that I had. But uh, with that being said is uh, in the first two months when it was like if you walked outside, like you turn into a zombie during COVID, like uh, that's how it was. Um, we still we lowered our prices to all our units to like what a market rent would be for an unfurnished rental. Mm. And because I didn't have the obligation to lease anymore and we're just sharing the revenue, I would book anybody now, right? And then I put my minimum stays to like 14 days minimum just so I could get those long, attractive like um, bookings to like just get us through. And people started booking, you know? We had like first responders, people going through domestic issues at their home, divorce, like uh, people traveling for like uh, work, the, the work that was like necessary during that time. So the first two months wasn't that bad, you know, for, for me and my business. And that's kind of what the landlord said, okay, fine, let's like see what happens during like uh, the summertime. And uh, I was giving them money during those two months. So they were like, um, you know, we don't have to take these units back. But I'm talking a lot. I don't know if you want to uh, no, no, just keep I, going. I, I, I like <laughs> so I yeah. guess, so how did you go from, you go from 180 units down to 90 to not even think you're going to have a business to now yeah. 350, you said? Uh, so 300, but now it's reducing to now. Um, so a little less than 300, but, um, okay. So, um, getting back in my story. So I went from 180 back to 90. Then, uh, I was with those landlords that was keeping me in business, doing revenue share. So my expense decreased significantly. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then there was these opportunities that happened during COVID that again was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And it was actually somebody else that's been on your podcast that like brought attention to an opportunity for me that, you know, took me to the next level. So what it was is there was this company named Stay Alfred yeah. that went bankrupt during the, uh, the pandemic. Um, and Michael Chang brought it up to me like, hey, they're liquidating the furniture, you know, um, give your offer. I'm like, what am I going to do with their furniture? You know, there's nothing I could do. I don't want to pay a dollar for it. You know, like, um, he's like, then just offer a dollar, see what happens. You know, that's kind of what he told me. So I'm like, all right, listen, I'll, I went and emailed the liquidator attorney. I'm like, you know, I'll buy your furniture for $200 per unit. You know, it usually costs $10,000 per unit. So, you know, pennies, pennies on a dollar, I'll pay you $200 per unit. Um, and uh, I had no interest in buying it at all because the pandemic just happened. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. You know, what do I do with this even? But they ended up responding back to me in like four, five, six months later. And that was when my summer was going on at the time. Um, it wasn't that bad. You know, summertime for me, uh, the supply in one of my markets cut down 50%. Uh, um, so, you know, people were still booking. People were coming because like demand, demand decreased too. But like supply 50% decreases like, you know, substantial. Um, so uh, they ended up responding to me and saying like, hey, we accept your offer. $200 per unit on these uh, 20 units. So I'm like, okay. Uh, I ended up going back to my landlord that I have a revenue share with. I'm like, listen, uh, can I add on more units with you? Um, now I don't have the upfront cost, right, of the furniture. I'm like, can I add units with you? And he's like, yeah, you can. We could still go on the revenue share. Uh, he was hurting too from a long-term tenant demand perspective, right? So he was open to me to have units in his uh, thing. So I ended up going, taking those 20 apartments worth of furniture and putting it into his units. And then I went back to the liquidation attorney. I'm like, can I have more? Can I have more? And I ended up buying 150 apartments worth of furniture and pennies on the dollar. 
So 1.5 million of worth of furniture for yeah. 20 grand. 20 grand. Yes, to, to buy. <laughs> Did I do that so, right? Yeah, right. No, it was around that, but it ended up um, as time went on, the the value of the furniture ended up getting more because there were other bidders coming in at the same time. So it started off with like $200 per unit, then ended up moving oh, to $500 okay. per unit, you know, yeah. towards the tail end. And um, there was opportunities that I wish, like they were offering me 150 apartments in this one Nashville building that um, Stay Alfred owned at the time. And then it was like brand new stuff. They didn't even get to go live. Wow. And then I'm like, what do I do? Like, I couldn't do anything with it. I didn't know what to do with it. Like, it was just too much stuff. And then now, obviously, I regret not figuring out a solution for that because now I'm going on and buying furniture now, you know? Mm. Um, so it was like more than I could even manage. Like, I had to figure out how to get uh, warehousing and trucking and movers like overnight. And I had to go to locations from all across the country, from Atlanta to Dallas to um, Ohio to, you know, Minnesota. Like, we were, it wasn't me, it was my team. They were going, I was paying them to go out to these different locations, finding movers. And then I ended up f figuring, like, Googling, like, um, how do I get a truck, you know? And then I found out there's like Uber trucks, you know? And I started ordering trucks to all these different locations. I started calling my contacts for like warehousing, like, cause I didn't know where to put it. I had four warehouses around the country. Um, and it was like crazy. Like um, overnight I created like a wholesaling logistics business, like overnight, like just like by Googling, you know? Cause I had this once in a lifetime opportunity with this one, I had the supply of units coming to me. Yeah. And then I had a supply of furniture coming to me. So all of a sudden it was like a perfect storm of things. And at the same time, the supply of units in my market decreased. So it was just like a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to get this furniture and get these units. So I ended up scaling significantly back to like, like, you know, up to 300 units. So the stars aligned perfectly. Yeah, the stars aligned perfectly. So what is it, what does your tech stack look like now? If you were to add on another 20 to 30 units, what, what would that process be right now? If you had that opportunity presented? Yeah, so I think like my, my tech stack has been kind of like um, grandfathered in for like the past years. It's no crazy new softwares that I'm adding, but we have like the hospitable type software for, I guess, yeah. for guest communication and also for like screening. It like helps. Um, we also use like their data for like reviews and things like that. Um, it helps a lot too for like our performance, our, for our performance bonuses for like our cleaners and guest communication people. Um, and then I have a PMS. I use Logify. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying like I recommend Logify. Um, it's just for what I needed at the time. Um, it worked out. I We visited a couple other softwares at the time and um, this just worked out. There's one thing that I really liked about Logify was like this hotel representation inventory type thing that they had. Mm. Basically, like if I had 20 identical units, like they could have just like, you know, one on Airbnb to help me fill those in. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of why we chose that. But then I had to use another software to help schedule that. I mm. forgot the uh, VR scheduler or something okay. is the name of the, that software. Um, and then we use like project management software. Like uh, from last time I heard, we moved over from Trello to um, Monday.com, I think. Monday. We How yeah. big is your team? Yeah. Okay, so my team is maybe about 100 resources. 50% of them are located in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And then the other 50 people are located in my local markets. But majority of the local people are cleaners, maybe like 30, 35 cleaners, uh, runners, people dropping off supplies and 
cleaning cleaning supplies and linen and everything and handyman and like a general manager to oversee everything and some movers and um to help set up like new furniture and move furniture out of units so logistically is that is that that manager looking and seeing that well, I would suppose it's X cleaner that says we don't have enough supplies here. And you yeah. Send supplies yeah. In. How does that how yeah. does that look like logistically? So a cleaner reports to what's going on to the unit, which gets sent over to Philippines mm-hmm. and Philippines ends up purchasing all those items, mm-hmm. sending it to our little storage thing. And then that ends up getting distributed back into the units by the runners, by the runners. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, 50% of my team being in Philippines is like, they're really like, they run the show. Like everything is out of the Philippines. Like I even have this one thing I do called uh, EOS. Um, it's like this infrastructure operating system that I have it's from this book called Traction. Um, I hired an implementer to get like a leadership team, mm. um, and my leadership is based out of Philippines too. Like my finance team, my revenue team, my operations lead. My, I have an HR out of Philippines to help me with like um, HR issues wow. and uh, hiring. So basically a corporate structure environment is out of the Philippines running the whole show. And then they're sending the communication over to people over here to what to do. And so the decisions that you have to make is just hiring, firing and what properties so, yeah, you're going to pick up? Yeah, so like uh, basically my work on a, a weekly basis is uh, I have this one leadership meeting that I have for an hour and a half that's really structured on like what we go through. Like we start off with going through our scorecard mm-hmm. um, to see like the metrics by department and if they hit us, the target or we're below and if below why or above why. Um, and then we go through our initiatives or KPIs for like that quarter and see how they're progressing in there. Any to-do lists or any decisions that need to be made. So I tell my team like um, there's always decisions that they need from me um, throughout the week, do send it to me like throughout the week so I could think about it. Like when I'm like, you know, at the gym or like driving, I could get to think about what I want to do with it. But during this one leadership meeting is we're firing off answers. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I'll tell you, even though it's like an hour and a half and that's like what majority of my weekly work is that hour and a half, it's like, I'm exhausted. Cause like, it's like my brain is like, um, all the decisions for the whole week Need and for the whole company right made right, right then and there. And I'm, but I am thinking about this um, decision throughout the week. But right, they tell me like it changes. It could change based off what they tell me in that conversation. But majority of my time that I spend is that leadership meeting. Um, and then I spend a lot of my time with like relationship management with my landlords. Like I do spend time talking to them, updating them on how my units are doing because they want to make sure that I'm doing good because yeah, right. um, I'm in control of a lot of their portfolio. Um, we talk about new growth and new opportunities. We talk about life. You know, we, we play pickleball together and stuff. Like, um, we go to coffee, and, and it's just relationship management with, like, the landlords, which is fun. You know, I like that. I like talking to um, high-end people. Um, there's some, re- like, fires that have to be put out th- during the week, like when crazy, crazy stuff happens, you know. Um, and then there's some screening that I also get involved in. Like sometimes I'm the last decision maker on people that are coming into my unit for um, like high, higher risk people like that don't have like a filled out profile um, and or reviews and stuff. And I have to make a decision on whether they're gonna stay or not. So that's kind of like how my week is. Mm-hmm. Um, I get updated on like the revenue management dashboards on how we're doing on a daily basis that I think about like, okay, hey, where we're going from a cash flow perspective. Like it's always just like reports being sent to me and I'm just thinking, you know? Is there a, is there a criteria for a deal that you look at? 
like a revenue yeah. to gross rent test or what, yeah. what do you do? So, um, I kind of got out of that, like revenue to gross rent type thing. It's more about, um, the relationship I have with that landlord. Hmm. It's more about, um, how many units does this landlord have? Can I grow with him in time? Um, where are his units located? Uh, is the market rent like reasonable? Like, yeah. um, those are the type of things I look at. Um, cause generally like by putting it on the Airbnb platform, you should be profitable, you know? And for me, it's my expense run rate. I have some economies of scale now, like I'm not adding new people at the moment. So if I add 10 more units, it's like the expense run rate is still going to be flat besides like the fixed costs associated with those units. Like I'm not hiring more people. So, um, those people that I have right now, their cost is going to be burdened with the new 10 units. Mm -hmm. So if anything, I'm like, you know, getting some savings by adding some more units in theory. Um, but like, you know, typically if you were to go back and like check, like, you know, you want to average like two times rent all okay. year long, but yeah. there is a bell curve with the amount of like, uh, I have cause, uh, the seasonality of my business is like strong, you know, summertime is where you make all your money and wintertime is where you lose money. Mm -hmm. So overall on average, like two times rent is kind of what you want to be able to, um, hit for me. Um, and for me, my portfolio will show like maybe some of them are 2.5 and some of them are like 1.2, you know, I'm losing money on some units, you know, but sometimes I keep them just to keep that relationship with that landlord. Mm. Even, even in the same building, there's properties that lose. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes one unit quality is better than the other. You know, I'm not in like brand new luxury A-class buildings that they're all like identical and stuff. Um, some units have been rehabbed over time and okay. in older buildings. Like Makes I would sense. say my units are like in B minus type areas and that's okay. You know, as long as you still make money, um, I'm okay with having that as my niche. And uh, do you have any advice for people that are looking to get started in arbitrage? Uh, so uh, my advice would be one, learn about the business. Uh, a good resource is to go to like YouTube and follow some of the influencers to like see what they're doing. Um, follow a lot of people on Instagram and learn about the business for one. But after you take some time to learn about it, uh, take action. Mm. You know, um, it's a low cost, low barrier to entry type business where you can, if you can convince a landlord or an owner to rent a unit, it's really just about ten, fifteen thousand dollars worth of startup cost to be able to do it. You should have that dollar amount saved somehow, um, and you should be able to take action and try it out. If it doesn't work out after one or two years, at least you know, you know. But if you just spend time, just like, should I do it or should I not do it? You will end up not doing it ever. So right. my biggest thing is like, take action and try it. You never know what opportunity comes from it. Awesome. Where can listeners of the podcast find you? So I just started posting on Instagram a couple months ago. So if you want to follow me on Instagram at Syed, S-Y-E-D-B-N-B, -B. Um, just follow me on Instagram and you could see a lot of the content I'm posting. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, it was a good time. Pleasure.